Coast City was as bright and warm as we had left it. The streets were full of people going about their day, and after we checked into our hotel, we began making plans to visit Ferris Aircraft to see Hal Jordan. But when we stepped up to a payphone, all sound left the world around us. We stared at the eerily silent crowd beginning to panic, but noticed a green blur streaking into a nearby building. We wouldn't have to wait long to find our friend the Green Lantern after all. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Really, this is just an episode about my favorite hero, so, you know, <laughs> this is just this is just a Sunday for me. Um, we're going to be talking about Green Lantern today. I know we finished Green Arrow in the previous episode, and we were at Flash before that. This is a big deal for a couple of reasons. This is actually kind of out of order from the Flash coverage we did, because in the Flash coverage that we did a couple episodes back, we had a, an issue where Flash and Green Lantern teamed up, and they talked about having met each other previously outside of the JLA, this is going to be the episode where we talk about the issue where that happens. Kind of a convoluted statement. Bottom line being, cool stuff. Cool stuff ahead. Um, some very Silver Age things. There's a couple of Gardner Fox stories in this as well, um, but everything else is still being written by uh, written by John Broom. Gil Kane is doing a lot of the art still. Um, you know, he may not be Carmine Infantino, but Gil Kane, I think, does a good job. Um, not the romancy sort of funness of Schaffenberger, but I do enjoy Gil Kane's art for this. I think it's kind of a, it's very action hero. Mm-hmm. It's you know, and I kind of dig it for what it is, and I think the art works with the type of stories that we're seeing. Now, we're covering around seven issues ish maybe a little bit more but each uh most most of the issues have two stories in them so it's a little bit of a bunch of content but this is still the issue or the years uh or the year of 1962 to 1963 we will stop in december of 1962 and then we'll go from 1963 to 1964 in the next episode so oh oh and yes we are doing something special for episode 100 I promise we have that in the works. It's going to be something a little bit further far afield in the future, but it is something we're excited for that we get to play around with. Going to be a good time. Yes, this is only episode 94. We've been doing this a while. We have. Like every once in a while I tell people, oh yeah, I do a podcast. And how many episodes? Uh, I guess like 90 something. And it it gets a reaction. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of don't think about it until somebody's like, Wait, how many? And you're like, oh yeah, this is, this is part of my life. <laughs> yeah. And all things considered, like we've been fairly consistent, like fairly, yeah, for us, fairly is the right word. But yeah, like I don't think we've ever taken more than a month off. Maybe, maybe a month or two, but never, never more than that. Yeah, never a hiatus. Yeah, I don't think we've ever done a hiatus. Even from when I moved from the Bay Area back down to Southern California, I don't think we did that much of a hiatus. It was like maybe a month off. And then when you moved, same thing. So, yeah. you know, it's it's reasonable. We we've ha- we have life, life-altering pauses. Never <laughs> a like, oh, we're taking six months off. And I think it's the pace at which we go that allows us to do that. 
Yeah. Uh, I think this know. has been the right pace and the right amount of content for where it can be a thing where it's like, all right, yeah, let me let me do a solid evening of prep for this instead of it being multiple days of prep. Yes, the pie in the sky dream of us, you know, getting money and living off of this was was quickly dashed, I think, after year two. And we were just like, nah, fuck it. Uh, but you know, we're still having fun and it's so good to catch mm-hmm. up with each other and, and do this and have, uh, I mean, for me, this is studying. I was learning my craft. So that's yeah. nice. Yeah. That, that's the interesting side of it. Cause for you, this really isn't just an academic exercise. This really is practice. I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is genuinely like me learning the history of how comics as a narrative form have evolved over years and seeing and looking at you know old stories and seeing what works and what doesn't and like oh wow you can get a lot of information in a page or oh wow this is way too much information on a page as we see occasionally <laughs> the text bubbles that crowd you out ah <laughs> uh, to be mike bignola <laughs> So, uh, yes, Joanne, I, I know we, we have quite a bit to cover and we're going to try and go through it as, as we can. But um, like I said, we have several issues to go through. We're going to start with Green Lantern number 10, January 1962. This one's a bit of a... We're going to have to go on a little bit of a walk for this one. A scientist who feels that the world is becoming increasingly unsafe does somewhat of a Rick Moranis, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids sort of a bit, but he shrinks himself, his wife, his daughter, and his daughter's boyfriend slash husband down to atomic size and where the atom that they land on resides is on slash in green lantern's ring so as he is using his ring it is causing problems for the tiny world on which they live um where they are um you know building a small utopia for themselves and servitor robots that do things for them and the servitor robots, of course, have now armed themselves, much like Westworld, and are attempting to try and kill their human creators. So they're like, we need to get help. And they ask Green Lantern for help by you know, sending a message to him through his ring. And uh, he helps them by shrinking himself microscopically down to the atom that exists in the atomic world that is kind of on his ring. Look... It, yeah, mixed fantastic voyage with Honey I Shrunk the Kids and Land of the No and I Robot and you've kind of got this whole story of this interesting, but you know, not the best story here. What I'll throw out there is so context. Uh, this story is very explicitly trying to get away from the Cold War. Uh, it is a super scientist who realizes that. He has a way to escape the danger of nuclear annihilation. And it leans into that just a bit. There are points where it's it's alluding to it. It's not playing too deeply on that for its themes. There's just the theme of I'm I'm getting away from it. I'm going to a peaceful utopia. It's but it's only alluding to the real world concerns of that. But if it leaned a little bit harder into it, into that, this is a Star Trek episode. This is like uh, the crew of the Enterprise gets trapped, gets trapped and pulled into uh, this kind of utopia and has to choose between staying there or uh, leaving and uh, 
making the world better and the scientists having to make that same choice. It there's just enough of the bones of that story here that I can that I I almost I read it that way. Uh, it doesn't do the homework to justify that, but it there's the bones. Yeah, it is it is almost like an Adam mm. Strange story, but it's also very it's very action oriented. It's much more it is much more Star Trek than it is Adam Strange. Adam Strange would be more pulpy. This is much yeah. more sci-fi. <laughs> right down to the costumes. Like you, you don't need Oh yeah. F- like a Fantastic Four style jumpsuit in order to be on a paradise uh Adam, but <laughs> that you've made yourself. <laughs> yeah. It's it's very Jetsons. It's very strange. Um the second story in this issue in GL number 10, uh Thomas uh, his best friend who is an engineer on his planes at Ferris Aircraft, Thomas um, asks Hal the origin of his oath in Brightest Day and Blackest Night, no evil shall escape my sight, let those who worship evil's might beware my power, Green Lantern's light. Uh, Hal begins to explain that the oath is something that he came up with due to three crimes that he stopped one of them in which people basically used a flashbang grenade so in brightest day uh, another one where he chased down some thieves who were in a very very dark cave in blackest night and uh he also used the ring to detect seismic anomalies to locate someone who was blowing up a safe no evil shall escape his sight this will get retconned okay good Good. This will get retconned to just being the oath that the Green Lanterns teach new recruits. There's, this does not exist in modern Green Lantern lore. The Oath of the Lanterns is its own thing because every core has an oath. Save the Orange Lanterns because their oath is just shouting, Mine! Because they're greedy. <laughs> I'm not even joking. That's they just so shout, good. Mine. It's amazing. Um... So it's, it, yeah, like the, every every core has an oath. The Green Lantern's oath is the one that Hal has. Um, Green Lantern number 11, March 1962. Sinestro, he, he's back. Um, he has escaped his weird sort of green popsicle that they shot him off in, in the last Green Lantern coverage we did. And uh, he essentially gets Hal to commit a bunch of crimes, but like half commit them. And Hal always stops himself from doing the worst of it. And Hal turns himself into the like Green Lantern Corps. And they're like, well, you haven't actually done anything wrong. So we're not going to like arrest you for anything. He's like, no, no, you must take my ring away from me. And they kind of expel him. And Sinestro finally gets him. He's like, haha, my plan worked to get you to feel like crap. Um, now I can take my revenge out on you. And the other Green Lanterns show up. And using the mind control machine that Sinestro had used on Hal to get him to do the crimes, they imprison him with his own mind control machine and they leave him somewhere on some remote planet. And that is presumably the end of Sinestro until he returns again. More lanterns, though. That was cool. We saw some returning lanterns. Tomar Ray was there, which was great. Love, love Tomar Ray. Big fan of, of Hal's buddy. Um, he was the first Lantern that Hal ever worked with, and if you go back on a couple episodes, he's kind of got like a fish mohawk fin and a bird mouth, kind of like an octopus beak. He's a great guy. Love him. Um, second story in GL number 11, Hal loses his ring um, because it falls out of a hole in his pocket, and a small child finds it, and he has to, you know, get it back from the kid while also fighting criminals with no ring, and 
stuff. Also, Hal's suit being something he has to put underneath his clothes will get retconned to the suit being something that gets put on him when he powers up his ring. The suits are not actual clothing. They are part of the constructs of the ring. Mm -hmm. So, for example, whenever Hal loses power with his ring, now in the comics, he reverts to a bomber jacket and flight suit. Um, Green Lantern number 12, April 1962. The citizens of the future city, Star City, uh, not where Green Arrow's from. Star City from the future, remember when Green Lantern was taken into the future to become solar director for a planet and they gave him a fake identity and all sorts of crap and a girlfriend that didn't matter they have come back and they're like oh shit an insurrection's happening on our planet let's just get green lantern back and get him to solve this so they bring hal from the past to the future again they wipe his memory they remind him that he is solar director of their planet quote unquote and he stops us an insurrection on the planet led by a magician I am looking at my notes correctly. Yeah, it's just this is magician. Um, does is how? I mean, they say insurrection, and we don't see what they're rebelling against. Is how being used by a puppet government? I mean, the only person who whose motivations we see for this insurrection is the magician and that's purely uh self-aggrandizement hey i was passed over uh green lantern yeah. got the promotion that was that should have been mine uh you do have to wonder about all the people who presumably the generals who he mind controlled were leading whether what the rationale was or like come to think of it did we ever see them leading anybody? Or Not was it really. just weapons platforms? Eh, it's kind of a mix. But like, it's not like an army army. It seems like a guerrilla force. Hmm. And that's kind of the thing where it's like, there's no clear statement by this insurrection as to like, you know, Krusty Krab unfair. Mr. Krabs is in there. You know, we don't see any of that sort of chanting and or politics from the insurrection it's just like bad guys go fight him and i know it's us and we do this all the time and we read too much into comics <laughs> but like the more i read that the more i was like kind of feel like hal was used to fight freedom fighters because we don't know if the insurrection committed terrorist actions i mean the trippy bit is the specific term that they use for those generals because they're referred to as the junta yeah which that ha that is a term that at least for me has very specific meanings uh or associations uh primarily with uh cold war colonialism and uh dic dictatorships propped up by the u.s or by the ussr or going before that to uh, dictatorships in especially Mexico propped up by the U.S. At, or at least tacitly accepted by the U.S. Um, yeah, that was, it was a weird choice to use that specifically. Um, 
the second story in this issue, Green Lantern beats uh, crooks using who are using a sonic drill that is so loud it mutes the world around it, which is kind of cool. Um, but also, like, you know, Green Lantern is running around and everyone is, like, silent, but then he realizes the drill is so loud it's making everyone kind of, like, deaf-ish or it's canceling out all noise. It's not clear. It's it's cool, though. Um, Green Lantern number 13. This is one of the big, uh, bigger issues here, June 1962. This is the first team-up between Green Lantern and Flash, before the team-up we see in the Flash coverage that we just did. So, um, the story basically is that Iris, the Flash's girlfriend uh, at Picture News, wants to do an interview with Hal Jordan, um, and has gotten basically an invite to a triple vacation. So, Turga and Thomas, Hal and Carol... Iris and Barry are all going on vacation together. Iris and Barry aren't really friends of Thomas, Turga, Carol, and Hal's, but they have somehow gotten invited. Um, Meanwhile, in space, Hal is returning to Earth at light speed using his ring, and in doing so, crosses into uh, a light speed dimension of a planet that is also, like, kind of in the same space as Earth. And the people there are like, oh, hey, buddy, you kind of crashed on our planet. Uh, Don't worry, we took care of you. And they kind of put the whammy on him a little bit, and they send him back to our dimension. And they use him to seek someone who has light speed capabilities themselves so that they can use that person to get out of their dimension and attack Earth. Who do we know in the six characters I named who has light speed capabilities aside from Green Lantern? That's right, Barry. So Barry, while on vacation with Iris, meeting these people, um, runs into Thomas, who's like, hey, my buddy Hal is acting very strange. Can you help me kind of figure out what's going on? You're a police scientist. And Barry's like, "Mm, I'm not a detective, but I understand what you're talking about. And so using his skills, he realizes that something is wrong with Hal and watches Hal turn into Green Lantern. So he figures out Hal's secret identity. As the Flash, he tries to stop Hal from doing stuff that's evil adjacent. And once Green Lantern sees him, he's like, oh, you're the guy I'm supposed to capture for my evil overlords. They have a superhero fight like you always have when two characters who don't know each other meet each other. And basically, Flash allows himself to get captured and taken to the lightspeed dimension where Hal is then freed. Barry and Hal fight off the bad guys, free the dimension from these oppressive overlords, and return and go like, okay, cool. So now we both know each other's secret identities. We're friends now. This is dope. Um, Fun story. Really cool for the two of them trying to, like, you know, throw powers at each other during their, like, you know, misguided fight. Green Lantern doing a bunch of stuff and Flash trying to super speed his way out of the the traps and attacks. Um, I like that it was a social interaction that led to them figuring this their ID, their secret ID, IDs out, as opposed to let's both change in the dark in the same cabin, and accidentally flip the light on and see that oh you're Batman and I'm Superman, because yeah. that was how that happened. Never forget that was how the Brave and the Bold happened and World's Finest happened. Um, this is just well written. It's not terribly, oh my god, this is so good, but it's like this is a believably good Silver Age storyline. This is up there with, like, this was a good Justice League issue kind of a thing. And it was a full issue. There is no second story here. Now, 
the important thing in this issue that I have to bring up. Remember when we were talking about the Flash and we had this weird term that we didn't know the, re- the meaning of when it was referring to Iris? Nushin? We are like, Nushin, Iris West. We're like, what the hell does that mean? Mm-hmm. N-E-W-S-H-E-N. What is this? I cracked the code. I figured it out, guys. At first I was like, is this a language I don't know? Is this a slang term from the 50s and 60s I'm unfamiliar with? Is this Yiddish? False. It's sexism. It's... <laughs> <laughs> And keep going, sorry. It is. It's sexist, and I'll tell you why. It's not Nushin, it's News Hen. Oh. She's a News Hen. A mm. female reporter is a News Hen. And I hate it. I hate it so much. You know, because apparently there's a, an abundance of. Not an abundance, but there's a theme in journalism of animal names for reporters, like Cub Reporter, News Hen. I don't know what the male equivalent of that is. I really hope News it's hen? not. Uh, you went in a different direction than I went because I was sticking with chickens, but good. Yeah, News Hound, sure. God damn it. <laughs> anyway, yeah, News Hen is dumb and I hate it. Yeah. Um, moving forward. Green Lantern number 14, July 1962. Uh, While going to the fictional country, another one for our fictional atlas of DC Comics, the fictional country of Modora, M-O-D-O-R-A, to get a stamp for Thomas's uh, philately philately collection? Uh, Philately or philatelists are people who collect stamps. Hmm. Philatelor? Philately. I don't, it's a fun word to say. Um, Thomas collects stamps, and he doesn't have one from the country of Medora, so Hal's like, I'm going to do something nice for my friend. I'm going to fly there as Green Lantern and get him a stamp. Because Hal's a nice guy. That's like a really sweet thing he's doing for his buddy that he doesn't have to do. <laughs> he's generally, like, very respectful of and more friend-like than, like, mentor-sidekick relationship with yeah. uh thomas it's it really has some give and take and there's clearly some some idolization but it's more hey tell me about this cool thing rather than tell than batman robin levels it's it's less g mister how cool and more like hey you're a superhero right what's the craziest shit you've done you know like that's it's much more that than than like a small wide-eyed boy following them around it's not snapper car yes thomas is very definitely not snapper and very much like always trying to help his friend and that's kind of what i dig about the relationship uh meanwhile while green lantern is trying to get a stamp from medora um he ends up fighting a guy named Sonar, who is a scientist from Medora, who has figured out how to use sound waves as weapons by just doing stuff, you know, cracking his arm like a whip and the sound wave is a weapon. It's neat. That's That was a cool little bit there and they have a fight and um, his goal basically was just to get Medora recognized on the global stage and guess what he did? Um, second story in 14, Hal has to protect uh jim his brother remember he has two brothers jim and jack jack is the older who is a district attorney and jim is just a a dude a goof kind of a guy Um, a little bit like jughead jughead early archie comics not this riverdale shit um yeah and uh he's helping jim who has been mistaken for green lantern 
by his girlfriend again and has also been kidnapped because Jim is in possession of a antique automobile headlight lantern that is believed to have a diamond in it from, get ready for this sports fans, a Mercedes men's car. Not a Mercedes Benz. A Mercedes men's. Could I have a nice tall glass of Pepsi? I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, it was pretty bad. I was dumb. I was dumb as shit. Um, that was that was Charles Moulton Marsden levels of. Hi, my name is Etta Candy. My father's name is Mint Candy, and my brother's name is Hard Candy. And I hate it. It's also my favorite thing in comics. But I hate it so much. I was gonna say, I remember you having a distinct love hate relationship. With I love, I love it, but also it is so much like, holy shit, man! Are you serious? You have multiple degrees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No wonder you went bankrupt. Um. So yeah, Hal Hal just helps Jim by you know giving him a specific alibi and being like, look, he's not Green Lantern, girlfriend. Stop being so crazy. Um, but also it's nice that Jim and the girl have continued to date after she interviewed him in the previous issues that we saw way back when, and that was cute. I kind of like that she came back as a recurring character. I'm like, hey, not, you know, not just Carol, but of course she's still trying to figure out what your secret idea is. But apparently you still like Jim, because Jim's also a nice guy. He's just kind of a, a goofy dude, and I, I dig it. Um... Green Lantern, number 15, September 1962. Sinestro, um, who has gotten out of his mind control machine and has now figured out, I think he's on Quard now, um, who's in this weird sort of competition for who's the baddest dude on Quard, and he's down several positions and down some points, so he's like, I know how I can be evil. I'll trap Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, on a planet entirely covered in yellow, and he won't be able to use his ring and he'll die there because he won't be able to save himself. Not actually a bad plan, all things considered. Um, very reminiscent of Mirror Master reading the prison paper, going, What's that? I'm not the baddest dude in the world? Fuck that, I'm going to do more crime. Um, so Sinestro uh, traps Hal on a yellow planet. He can't really use his ring for much, but apparently the radiation from the machine that the Quardians and Sinestro are using to watch this happen is enough that Hal can see it and use and stick his ring in the radiation beam and then use his ring. Sure. God, I love the Silver Age. It's so <laughs> weird. Um, like it, it's all internally consistent enough that it's like, as long as you can accept that, oh, this thing projected out a colored ray. Okay, as long as that's the case, yeah, that as long as that, then there is a space for him to work his, uh, the power of the ring. Yeah. All right, this is all internally consistent if we take this one thing on faith. As long as we're playing with our imagination within the sandbox that our parents have given us, yeah. everything works. That's a good uh, way to put it. Like this, all of these stories are doing a very good job of staying within the sandbox. Yeah, they stay in their lane without being like, "But wait, what if we were a lot smarter than we thought?" And it's like, no, just, just, just colors, colors and superpowers. That's all Green Lantern is. Um, and of course, Hal uses this beam to fly to fight Sinestro and the rest of the Guardians and wins. Second story in 15, uh, in a town focused on launching rockets in a weird sort of fetishized way with lots of rocket-themed shops and restaurants and housing, um, Green Lantern fights some crooks who are trying to steal rockets 
Um, and he doesn't use his ring because the clock near him got frozen, so he thinks he's out of time with his ring, and he thinks his charge is dead, but it actually isn't. It's a very throwaway, like, this was a dumb story. Um, Green Lantern number 16, October 1962. Uh, okay, another big issue here, actually. Very big issue for several reasons. Uh, women from the planet Zamoron, or Zamoronians, which kind of sound like Amazonians, but we're not going to say that. Um, just just big Grecian, or Grecian armor-wearing women from space save carol who is flying her own jet because she has learned how to fly her own plane because darn tootin she will because she runs an aviation company and uh i just kind of dig that that she's flying her own jet um the plane is about to crash and the zamoronians or zamoranians save her and they go hey you look an awful lot like our queen we're gonna make you the star sapphire our queen and she's like this seems suspicious and they put a crown on her, and it turns her into Star Sapphire, which is a very famous character in Green Lantern lore. They go, great, perfect. Now you're going to come back to Zamoron with us because you're our queen. And she's like, well, I kind of don't want to do that. I have a guy that I'm in love with. His name's Green Lantern. And they're like, what's this? A man? Fuck all that noise. And they show a picture of Green Lantern. And they're like, this is the guy? And she's like, yeah. And they're like, we're going to get you to beat him up so you can see how weak he is. And then you come with us to Zamoron. And she goes, weird flex, but okay. And... They kind of force her to go out and commit crimes by using the power of the tiara on her head to get her to do what they want her to. And it's basically like Carol as Star Sapphire backleading Green Lantern into beating her in fights. And he wins, and the Zamoronians are like, ah, this chick's too weak, she can't be our queen, and they peace out. And Green Lantern's like, holy crap, Star Sapphire was really Carol the whole time. Who would have thought that this woman who looks exactly like my girlfriend would actually be my girlfriend? Alright. Um, and so now we have Star Sapphire introduced into the Green Lantern lore. Star Sapphire is going to be huge. She has her own core of the Star Sapphires later in GL lore. We'll deal with that when it happens. But this is a big deal. This is the first appearance of Star Sapphire. Also, by the way, just Star Sapphire could make constructs herself, but it was more just like energy-based and didn't have to do with a ring or a certain color. She could just pull power and energy from the air around her and do things. So she was kind of like Green Lantern, but not really. Um, and she wasn't really Sapphire so much as like pink, purple, and white. It was a weird color palette. Uh, second story in 16. Hal tells Thomas about Avin Sur, the first Green Lantern that he met, who was the guy that gave him the ring after crash landing on Earth. And Thomas is like, hey, GL, I have a question for you. You know, you can fly in space with your ring and stuff, right? And he goes, that's absolutely correct. And Thomas goes, well, um, what the hell was Abin Sur flying a spaceship for? Essentially, Hal goes, well, here's what happened. Abin Sur, who is a great Green Lantern, uh, ended up saving a race of people from energy beings who were threatening the planet. And one of them got loose and wanted to inhabit Abin Sur so he could take control of the Green Lantern ring. And rather than let it have that, he kind of convinced the energy creature that his ring was dead. And so as it was possessing him, and he knew it was possessing him, he was like, well, my ring is dead. Guess I'll fly this ship back home. And when the creature realized that he was lying, he got in a fight with the creature. He crash-landed on Earth. And ipso facto, Hal Jordan is now Green Lantern. Um, that's kind of how that happens. That will get retconned later as well. Um, but you don't have to worry about that until we get there. Uh, Green Lantern number 17, December 1962. Spies of a vaguely Cold War nation 
use a spy ray, quote-unquote, that they shoot at Hal to track him down so that they can follow him as he does a test flight for an experimental rocket that they want to steal. Eventually, following Hal Jordan throughout the day leads you to figure out that he's Green Lantern because he's not that stealthy about it. And so these guys are like, oh my god, Hal Jordan's Green Lantern. Screw the experimental rocket, we'll steal his Green Lantern ring. And then I'm like, yeah, that's probably a better heist to begin with. Um, So they wait until he comes back down from his 36-hour flight in this experimental rocket. And when he gets out, they're like, cool, we have to run some medical tests on you because you've been in a rocket for 36 hours. We want to see what happened to you. And he's like, cool, that sounds legit. He gets in the ambulance. They're like, surprise, it's a kidnapping. We know you're Green Lantern. And he's like, who could have suspected? And as he's, you know, being interrogated, they're like, give us the ring, Jordan. Green Lantern walks in. Straight up, another human being who looks exactly like Green Lantern shows up. And he's like, well, if I'm Green Lantern, then who's that guy? And then Green Lantern and Hal beat the crap out of these spies. The spies are taken to the authorities, and Green Lantern kind of disappears, and Hal's like, I'm glad that worked. Thomas is like, what the hell happened? And he goes, funny you should ask, Thomas. I will will regale you with a flashback. While Hal was on his 36-hour flight around the planet, he used the ring to become invisible, slip out of the jet as it was on autopilot, fly back down to the Earth, psychically imprint commands into Thomas's brain... That when he suggested to him telepathically that he would turn into Green Lantern, Thomas would use the power of the ring to turn himself into Green Lantern to give Hal an alibi so that when Hal got captured because he knew he was being watched, Thomas would come save him. This is all fine and dandy, except for the fact that Hal didn't consult Thomas when this plan happened, he just kind of did it. And I kind of don't like the non-consensual use of Thomas's autonomy here. And that's a bad one, Hal. That's a no-no. That's a bad you done. Yeah. Um, this is a, a whole pay, a whole issue story. It's interesting. I was very curious how this was going to get solved and how it was going to get worked out. I was just upset that Thomas was not part of the gag to begin with. Yeah, it feels like the kind of thing where there was a collision between them one the writer wanting to use this as the explanation for how it all worked out and the writer wanting to use the story frame of and thomas is writing about this and he's the one who is asking the questions but yeah fundamentally the lack of there are even some little things that make it like i think the he says oh the reason you didn't remember it was because you were so tired from uh monitoring the uh orbit that you you don't remember and it's like nothing in there says that you agreed to this and then you just forgot about it after doing it it just feels it it really does feel like a mind control moment with no consent and that was that was shitty yeah so that is all my part of the coverage we've covered the important stuff between the flash uh issue with the two of them teaming up and the star sapphire thing do you have stuff now? I do, in fact. So some of these are going to be little uh, Wikipedia sides, as, as I want to do sometimes. And sometimes it'll be the more overview things. It's interesting to look at a lot of the planes, a lot of the experimental planes that Hal is flying have that big old delta wing kind of shape. Uh, mm-hmm. And apparently that fits because uh this is it's not the start 
of the jet age, but it's certainly where things are really getting going, where you've got, I think, the second generation of real jet aircraft, jet fighter planes, uh, excluding the ones that were experimental in World War II. But apparently that kind of uh, triangular delta shape works really well at supersonic speeds. Uh, you think of the Blackbird especially, like that's that wing shape where it's just a giant triangle across both wings. Uh, and I guess you think about the cruising mode. I don't know what you'd call it with the, I think the F-16, like you think about those shots of it in that triangle form and then uh, it goes into, all right, we're deploying into attack formation and the the little wings kind of swing out, uh, I guess, which I guess is probably the inspiration for the X-Wings and the S-Foils, come to think of it. Yeah, huh. probably. Never thought of that. Uh, this was a nifty little thing. Uh, there was the story with the scientist going super small, and there was a point where Hal can't use his ring because uh, it will hurt... Uh, I don't remember the name of the daughter of the scientist uh, because she is currently like casting her essence into the ring to communicate it's weird uh but it is established if you use this you will hurt the person who is doing this uh and that was so much more effective for me than similar things in world's finest for instance or yeah i guess mainly world's finest like i think of things where robin's in trouble and so Superman and Batman can't do X like that kind of you are being compelled in this direction be at risk of hurting this other person first off it wasn't the like primary issue the primary obstacle of the issue uh, so it it isn't that kind of gimmicky oh how are they going to overcome this limitation it was a challenge that was presented along the way in the story uh, but also it's less contrived and it actually happens, I guess, is the other side of it. He unintentionally, like just without thinking, lets a little bit of energy through, uh, and he does hurt. I don't remember her name. Uh, it, it feels less forced, less gimmicky, less the one where X happens as a result. And that's kind of a recurring theme with these stories. There are blocks of what happens that you could say, oh, what's the one sentence summary of this bit? Oh, that sounds like something that would have happened in a world's finest story, but it doesn't feel the same way. It's partly handled with more gravitas and partly it's just less forced. Mm. It's, it feels more like a part of the story and the part of the world than grab bag uh, Mad Lib storytelling. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Uh, honestly, like one of the best, one of the other examples of that is I kind of touched on how that same story felt like a Star Trek episode. There's not a ton of difference in that story in some ways between that and the, what is it? the Bay of Sargassos, Sea of Sargassos mm -hmm. uh, story. Yeah, I know. I know uh, yeah, the, the one that we had with uh, Green Arrow last time of uh, the like land-based ghost ship yard uh, where all the 
all the wrecked vehicles are. They're they're very similar stories. It's just almost Doctor Who. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just that Green Lantern handles it with so much more exploration than gimmick. Moving on to the next issue, I'm so glad that they retconned the oath to be just the oath instead of oh a reference to this one time. I hate I hated that literalization of the oath. Touching back to that earlier point, it's it wasn't as bad as I was afraid it was going to be. Like the story wasn't terrible. It was mostly just eh, I didn't like it uh as compared to oh I hated it. But that idea of literalizing the reasons for that oath being the way it is, I didn't like it. This was something that I was surprised you didn't talk more about. I think this was the first story where we had uh, Sinistro trying to recruit Hal. Uh, There's specifically the issue where he has been mind-controlled. He gets brought to uh, face Sinistro, and Sinistro says, uh, quoting, I am offering you a full partnership in my crusade of evil, Green Lantern. Together we can destroy the guardians of the universe and establish ourselves in power in their place. There is no limits to the heights we can attain. Uh, And it's not the Sinistro Green Lantern or Sinistro Hal Jordan relationship that we're going to eventually get that feels so core to the character of Sinistro. But it, it at least feels like the first step towards that. I think you're right, and and yeah, that is something we're talking about. In the future, as retcons occur, Sinestro is Hal's mentor, and will be the guy that he kind of does ride-alongs with for a long time. So, Sinestro's fall from grace really hits Hal very hard, and also Hal's ascension to being the greatest Green Lantern hurts Sinestro. I guess it didn't proc as much for me because it is less rooted in Sinestro trying to convince Hal to come to his way of thinking, which is usually what their relationship is, is that Sinestro is like, hey man, aren't I right? Aren't the Guardians bad? Isn't what I'm doing the right thing? And much more like, well, now you don't have power, time to join the evil team. You know, it's, you're right. It isn't the relationship that we see in the future that makes their relationships so deep and meaningful but you're right it is worth noting that that is the first time we see the temptation of 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 hal jordan by sinestro of just being like come on man you know especially since we haven't seen the two of them interact interpersonally with each other outside of being foe and adversary because it's 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 just two sentences shy of we're not so different you and i you know, and it's, ooh, that, like, if, if we had hit that cliched, you're not so, we're not so different, you and I, I would have said yes. Mm-hmm. It is, it That's is, fair. yeah, very much the, fir- the the start of that relationship. But this was so much like, come, join my evil crusade, for I am a mustache-twirling villain. And, yeah, you're right. It is the start, but it's not quite there. That's fair. One of the things that has actually hit me as like minutes before starting recording was it feels like there are opportune moment things here where the groundwork is unintentionally being laid for what we now accept as deeper and meaningful stuff the other thing because the other thing that came to mind was how much of how and Barry's like 
friendship because we think of them as being friend characters. How much yeah. of that comes out of the convenience of the fact that in this era, this formative era for these characters, they were both under the same editor. And so that same editor could be like, all right, you know what? Uh, these guys hang out in the story. Go for it. And so you have that that establishment of these are characters that we're used to having together. And then someone along the line, further on down the line, will be like, huh, you know what? I, I like that these characters are together. Let's explore that. Like what makes them interesting to be together? I wonder if we're going to see similar repetition of Sinestro or Sinestro eh, saying hokey things like join me enough times that someone eventually sits down and is like, but why, why is that important? Why did that keep coming up and retro retroactively justify, I guess. Yeah. And also not just that they're under the same editor. They're written by the same guy. Oh, I forgot about that. Broom Broom is writing both, both Barry and Hal. So I wonder how much that affects the fact that he's like, I want my toys to play with each other. He might be the only person who has the ability to do that because other than Gardner Fox, Broom is one of the only people writing multiple characters, except for the guy writing Martian Manhunter and Aquaman. Especially two characters that feel, that are similar in structure isn't quite the right word these stories feel like flash stories in a lot of ways there's a similar amount of introspectiveness not as much as flash like flash has more villain like villain thoughtfulness but yeah there's certainly more of that than we get in other stories and they they each of the stories has the same amount of space to play in they're doing the same let's continue using the same world elements uh i wish they built more world but they are certainly playing within the sandbox that they have created uh well flash has a good amount of world building you've got gorilla city and the alternate uh, like within the past like six months or the the past couple episodes that we've done of each yeah with uh, what we've covered yeah and also i will say this flash is a much more cerebral character yes because it is, ooh, yeah. he is much more science-based because he has to solve the science of these issues. He has to figure out, because his only tool is his speed, he has, mm-hmm. to, he has to outthink his villains. Hal has to just be like, what shape can I make? This will do whatever I need it to do. What do I need? That's a good point. Uh, Hal's solutions to the challenges makes sense but they're not as coming from a place of i figured this out on a cerebral like oh i know the thing that works here it's much more here's an opportunity and i see an angle yeah it is um it's a blunt instrument versus a uh, you know a scalpel Mm -hmm. hal is i need to know where these guys have gone i'm gonna use the ring to show me where they've gone barry is hmm that is a speed mirage or that's a, that's a cold mirage. I know that I can get around that because, frankly, it's not real, but it is. It's created by intense cold by Captain Cold's gun. This is how I'll do this, and it's because he has the luxury of thinking at that speed. Hal is a split second decision maker. It's it is one of my favorite things. Hal is Captain Kirk. Barry is Picard. Yeah. One thing I want to call out, I I feel generally good about the supporting cast. Uh, we talked a little bit about how the there's a solid like friendship relationship between Thomas and Hal. 
there's also like Turga, uh, Thomas's at this point wife, uh, is continuing to show up. Doesn't have a major role, but also isn't talked down to. Uh, she is. Her English improves. Oh, dramatically. Yeah. No, that was. I noticed that. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, and also, it, everyone likes her. Like, yeah. everyone's like, oh, yeah, let's, you know, hi, Turga. You know, Hal is acknowledging her and stuff like that. And Carol and her hang out. So it's very much like she has acclimated. She's found friends. She's accepted into this group. She's not like, you know, the odd person out. And similarly with Carol, like, one of the things that these stories do, you notice we didn't talk about any real like Carol Green Lantern moments. Everything in here was Hal and Carol moments. And granted, like we're we're not getting back to the first couple issues of Green Lantern that looked like a romance comic. It's and there's not even the same sizzle, but at least what what tends to happen is uh carol will be like you know what let's go on a date i'm gonna i'm gonna cook you something or we'll go somewhere and then hal has to make an excuse of oh uh i have to go work uh because something comes up and that's annoying to a degree but it's also not it's not played up like spider-man levels of i don't have a good explanation like she's always like yeah whatever i understand you have to work but it's annoying and it's frustrating me but Fine, go do it. Uh, and there was one panel specifically in, uh, I think it might have been the last issue we covered, either uh, maybe second to last, where he does that same thing and he, like the narrator narration box is saying that he feels bad and it's just a close-up panel on her and her thinking just like, I, I can't figure it out. And she is expressing her own dismay over this and does does his love of duty come before his love of Carol Ferris? Oh, I'm all mixed up. It's not the self-righteous like with Lois Lane, a lot of those time a lot of the time those moments are I am indignant and that is who I am in large part because the plot is dictating that. Here it feels more like this is how a person would react like this person who I care about is are either, are they blowing me off? Are they putting something ahead of me? I don't feel good about this. It's mixed signals. She's, you know, because Hal is constantly pursuing her. And she finally is like, you know what? Maybe I'm ready to give him a shot. Like, like you said, she offers to cook him dinner because she's like, you know what? Let's, let's go out tonight, you and me. Or like, you know, I'm going to cook you dinner because you did such a great job at XYZ kind of a thing. And... You can tell she's genuinely making the effort to make advances towards him, as opposed to Lois, who's like, well, I suppose I'll give you a chance tonight, Smallville. Carol's like, no, I'm taking you out. She seems to be much more becoming interested in Hal, the less we see her and Green Lantern interact. Because they haven't really interact, they didn't interact at all, really, in this whole arc that we saw this whole year. So the less that she interacts with Green Lantern, the more she interacts with Hal, the more she seems to pursue Hal. Aside from the Star Sapphire issue, where she fought Green Lantern, every other interaction she has is with Hal. So there's never the, like, you know, oh, marry me, Green Lantern kind of a thing. We've kind of dropped Mm -hmm. that whole pretense, which is really great, honestly, um, because her not being the female Steve Trevor is great. Um, And... 
Yeah, it, it seems much more natural. There was the other angle on this that is a similar illustration of a more mature side of things uh, was, I don't remember which issue this was, but there was a point where she she's earnestly thinking like, you know, I really like, I really do like Hal. I just also feel weird that I feel the same way about the, in the same things about Green Lantern. Like that earnest kind of confusion of, I don't know if, if I can put myself wholeheartedly towards Hal as long as I'm still feeling these same things. And to some degree, it casts her as a victim in this situation. Yeah. And I like the, I like feeling bad for Carol. Yeah. You know, I like I, I like feeling like, yeah, you're getting the short end of the stick here, Carol. I'm sorry. I think that's uh, I think that's about everything I've got. All right. Uh, my recommendation this is going to be a weird one because I have recently discovered that I am I'm a candle guy. Which is not a thing I ever realized, but I do I do enjoy scented candles and also like nice scents and aromatherapy is nice. Um, there's a, there's a company uh in los angeles called cantrip candles specifically they make candles that smell like stuff from D. oh that's cool so um like one of them is the smell of like the interior of a monastery if you're like in a temple for a god or one is the smell of like it's called den of thieves and it smells like leather and and smoke and uh, like, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Like they have a lot of varied ones. Like one is like salt water air in case you're like at the ocean with your team and stuff like that. Um, they are eight ounce small tin candles or a 16 ounce one in a glass, like glass plastic container. The 16 ounce ones come with a 20 uh, sided die in them after you melt them down and there's a, a D20 in them. That's kind of great. I love it. Um, they're fun. Um, they're kind of expensive, yeah, because they're boutique candles, but um, they last for quite a while. Um, I bought some for myself for my birthday, uh, and they're nice. They smell nice. They smell good. And, you know, if you might end up being stuck indoors for an extended period of time, um, having things that smell not like your home might be nice just for a little extra something. And they can they are, they deliver. Nice. Yeah, Uh we're recording this on March 13th. Uh, please be healthy and please be safe. We are thinking of you. Uh, make sure you are healthy and you are doing things that are healthy for the people around you. And uh, ask for help if you need it. Please be awesome. Uh, and speaking of awesome, uh, this is a repeat, but I have to put it out there. Uh, we've talked a lot about Dragon Ball Z Abridged and... After a long pause as they tried to figure out how to do season four, covering the Boo Saga, they ultimately made the call of, yeah, it it is over and done. And they've given a bunch of good reasons. And if you are a fan of DBZA, I do recommend, like, watch the video where they walk through. Uh, They're, at its most fundamental, like, it puts too much of their livelihood at risk to keep pushing their luck with copyright strikes like toei does funimation does is not the biggest fans of them and that impedes both their ability to do future projects that are not just abridged and also who would have thought yeah it's oh boy when when 
when a reference to you guys and your voices are is enough to get an entire sequence in a an episode of DBZ Kai shit canned. Wow. Uh, oh yeah, like there was a sequence where uh, apparently I, I think it was either in the Cell Saga or in the Boo Saga where there's a group of folks talking that uh, just kind of reflecting on the events recently, and they had the DBZA folks do those voices and there was some referential humor in it and it was in like some promotional material and it never aired on as part of the actual episode because either Funimation or Toei like stepped in and was like, no, no, you're not doing that. But what it fundamentally means is if, if you are interested in what DBZ abridged provides now is a good time to go through that because it is done. Uh, you can get a satisfying conclusion. Uh, and actually, right now is also especially interesting because they've been doing a playthrough of Kakarot, the action RPG that came out. And because it's going through the story chronologically, they're also using it as a chance to sort of talk through. Like we did... Uh, this is kind of what we really liked about these scenes uh, they'll talk about as they're playing because it's a brainless game in a lot of cases. So uh, it's almost it's almost like director's commentary for their show. It really is. And on top of that, they did a mini documentary with a guy named, I think Totally Not Mark is the guy. Uh, he's a DBZ like commentator effectively. Uh, and it like 20 minute looks at each of the seasons that they did. And none of it is really new information if you've been super tapped in, but it's, it's nice to have that like capstone. And I have to, whenever I talk about DBZA, I, I have to put in here, there are jokes I wish they didn't make. They, there is some punching down that especially early on, earlier on, there is that like, early 2000s internet humor like they got started in i guess 2005 but even more recently there are some jokes that i don't feel great about and i have not given them money yet but there are a lot of good things that they do and a lot of a lot of very funny stuff and clearly there is a love of dragon ball in everything they do so if you want to give that a try i do highly recommend it well this will do it for us for this episode of Green Lantern Coverage. We're going to do another episode from 1963 to 1964. But this was a fun one. I'm excited to see what's in the next, you know, set of issues. And uh, take care of yourselves. Love each other. Be kind. And we'll see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Time with Hal and Thomas had been good. We turned in for the night, eager to see what new interstellar adventures awaited us when we returned the next day. Would Sinestro be back? A new Green Lantern threat? And what of the Star Sapphire? Well, it could all wait till tomorrow. <laughs>